And we begin to read at verse 18 to verse 40. And our text is verse 37 and 38 of Luke 19. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, at verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. <clears throat> so, those who, <clears throat> so those who were sent out, uh, who were sent, uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And then we turn back to the end of the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. At chapter 9, And we read verse (coughs) 9. The prophecy of Zechariah 9, verse 9, concerning that triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Zechariah declared, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then we turn back lastly to Psalm 118, which also speaks of those great events that took place in Jerusalem from the words of the psalmist, Psalm 118, reading verse 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Thus far, the reading of Holy Scripture. I read again the words of our text in verse 38 and 39 of Luke 19. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Dear people of the Lord who are called to be saints, in this last, the last year of Jesus' ministry, we know that he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That was a, an astounding miracle for Jesus to perform. And at that time, we read from John chapter 6 that the whole multitude of the Jews uh, sought to make him king. <clears throat> we read there that Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him their king. But Jesus quickly departed to a lonely place all by himself. He was not yet ready at that moment to be, to be crowned as their king. He had thus far resisted all efforts for God's people to crown him as their king. And one of the reasons, no doubt, being that they would want to crown him king for entirely the wrong reasons. But furthermore, we also know that Jesus' time had not yet come. He was still having to serve his people as their chief prophet and their only teacher. But now his time was beginning to come, in the words of our scripture passage, and to be received as their king. Now that messianic kingdom of David that they had longed for in their hearts for centuries was now beginning to be realized. Their king was coming to them as the prophet Zechariah had declared some 500 years earlier. Our theme congregation this morning, our king has come for us. Our king, he has come for us, for, for our sake. And he did so that Palm Sunday morning. Jesus was not only to be our chief prophet and our teacher, but also to be our eternal king, that too. Uh, And yet that kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ was grounded in the fact that he would also be our, our great high priest, that he would lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins on the tree of the cross. And so he purposely delayed for them to come to make him their king until he was ready to lay down his life for them, his life for the sheep. And only by this means, having laid down his life, only then could he become our king, and and we call him that, our king. And this is what the Jews, of course, had to understand and to believe. For you see, this is what the blessedness of the kingship of Jesus Christ is all about. It hinges on the fact that he has to be our great high priest as well. And thus together be also our chief prophet and our eternal king. And so in the first place we need to consider the blessedness of our king. Why should Jesus be our king? What what is there about him that compels us to say, yes, this man is blessed. And this is the blessedness we need. That we need for all of our life and for eternity. And so first the blessedness of our king. This king who has come for us. Well, as we look at our scripture passage there, the vast crowds were blessing Jesus that morning as he was entering Jerusalem on that first day of the week. That that event we also know as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was the time of the feast of the of the Passover, <clears throat> the feast of the Jews. 
The cross was about five days away at this point, and Good Friday was coming, and little did anyone know what that would all involve. But having gotten a colt, the foal of a donkey, as Luke tells us, and as uh, Zechariah does as well, Luke writes in verse 37, and here we begin to see things happening, if you will, in our text, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, think several thousand people, that's what a multitude consists of, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who has come in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. With his disciples and this increasingly mushrooming cloud, uh, a crowd of many, many people, Jesus had come from Bethany and Bethphage and was heading in the direction of Jerusalem. He had come from Bethany, which was about two, two kilometers or so southeast of Jerusalem. And we know Bethany was a place where Jesus sometimes went. There were three of his very close friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And of late, Lazarus had died and Jesus had raised him from the dead. It was an absolutely astounding miracle, a wondrous sign of what our Lord had just done. And the news spread like wildfire through the countryside and into the streets of Jerusalem. But this miracle congregation was only the climax of three years of mighty works and wonders and signs that Jesus had done, the kind of reason, kind of thing that he did, which had caused all these vast numbers of people to rejoice greatly when they saw him coming, descending the slopes of Mount of Olives, going through the Kidron Valley and up to the gates of Jerusalem. A huge crowd hearing, hearing and knowing he was coming went out to meet him, we read in John 12 as well, and to do one thing, to acclaim him, he is our king. He is our king, and they rejoiced greatly. Well, what really were they saying and were they doing? Again, the words of our text in verse 37, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. This vast crowd congregation consisted of Jewish pilgrims, uh, tens, tens of thousands of them as they converged on Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. They would have come from all the, all the parts of Palestine and from that beyond into the rest of the Roman world. By the tens of thousands they came for that great feast day. And so many of them had heard of the mighty signs and miracles that Jesus had done. And many, many people were so privileged to see Jesus actually perform these mighty works of raising the dead, of casting out demons, sight to the blind, uh, uh, life to those, O Lord, who were dying. And so Jesus' works had, had left them with, a, with all the evidence, so to speak, with all the with all the wonderful news, it was, it was absolutely overwhelming and it was staggering. The things that Jesus Christ was doing that no man had ever done before. And all were coming to, the, to this conclusion. The conclusion. Jesus must be 
the Messiah of God, promised by the prophets from so long ago. And they were shouting with a loud voice. This was no quiet little sedate kind of an affair. There was jubilation in the air. There was joy and gladness as they sang, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They were getting it right, weren't they? They were coming to the right conclusion. Now these words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or blessed is this coming one congregation, that's messianic language. That's the messianic kind of news the prophets had been speaking of from ancient times. It was the language that we hear from the words of Zechariah some 500 years earlier as he spoke of those events which would come. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Hey, rejoice. This is something to rejoice about. Your king is coming. O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and he is having salvation. But he's also humble, mounted on a donkey, on the colt of a foal of a donkey. Mighty, having salvation, yet so lowly. The children of Israel were not so ignorant of the scriptures that they did not remember this kind of language and what it stood for. And when they saw these events taking place, as Isaiah had for, or Zechariah had foretold, they were persuaded that these words must be applied to this man riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And especially when they see him riding into Jerusalem, Fulfilling the words of Zechariah, behold, your king is, is coming to you. And, and guess what? Here he is, front and center in our life, coming into the holy city of God. And they hail Jesus as their king. And especially when they know and so many had seen the mighty works have, that Jesus had done. Let's say Jesus had never done any mighty works. Well, there would have been not near the enthusiasm and the anticipation of the people. But when he did what no man else could do, how could they not help but rejoice and take note and stand up and be ready to shout with joy and thankfulness? This was was more than supernatural. This was divine. He's coming in the name of the Lord. How else could he do what he's doing? You see, and these were the things that were pulsating through the minds of the people, and they respond with praise and thanksgiving, as we read also from the psalmist. Psalm 118, which congregation was one of the most familiar of all the Old Testament psalms for God's people. It it, it stuck in their hearts. They knew the the sense and the substance of this beautiful psalm, a messianic psalm promising the coming one. And we read the verse 25 there. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success or, or grant us prosperity. And then they add, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hey, blessed. Our first point was about the blessedness of the king who is coming to us. Well, here they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we bless you from the house of the Lord. And that indeed was what was happening. But notice here, congregation, a slight change in the wording. The psalmist says, blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. But Luke tells us that the Jews inserted the word king for the word he when he was riding into Jerusalem. The Jews say, blessed is the king. In other words, this person who was he in Zechariah now was declared to be king in, in, in Luke. And, uh, and that kingship, of course, applies to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And blessed is this king means they're rejoicing in him. They can't say enough good things about him. They bless his holy name. They esteem him highly. They ascribe glory and honor and praise to him. They honor him because he's coming in the name of the Lord. They are making a very good confession. We would say so far, very good. They confess that he's been doing the Lord's work. They confess he's the servant of Jehovah God. They know he's come with God's authority and with God's power invested in him to heal and to save, to restore, to give sight to the blind and to drive out demons and all of that. And so as we see in our first point, they declare the blessedness of Jesus, our king, for the mighty works he had done. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ is blessed, congregation, blessed for our sake too, because he came into Jerusalem just as much for us here sitting today as he did for those Jews 2,000 years ago. We are in the same level or situation as they are. We need this king coming into Jerusalem for our sakes just as much as they did. For a kingship of Jesus that then was, was, uh, was uh, <clears throat> commemorated and celebrated is something that was, is to be celebrated by us just as much. We are just as much in need of a king as they did. And we are, we are to, in a sense, say just the same things about him as they did. But of course, for the right reasons, right? That we will come to in a moment. But they called him blessed because they see God working through him. And and for their salvation, for them to be saved. The congregation isn't Jesus Christ more than a teacher. He's more than a nice man to go and listen to, take in a lecture and see what he has to say. He's much more than just a preacher. Oh, he has to be a preacher, but he's much more. He's a miracle worker, but he has to be much more. He has to be their king. Unless they forget, he has to be their God. Their God. And of course, God he is. And so this is what Christ's ministry was coming down to. A glorious kingdom that he was establishing and ushering in. The glory. That would be a fulfillment of the glory of David's kingdom of long, of long ago, but now so much more. This was a kingdom which would endure forever and ever. This was a kingdom that the Jews believed would be a kingdom which would make them the greatest nation on the earth, a kingdom or a king that would make them forever free from the Romans, make them glorious, uh, make them as a real mark on the map, so to speak, put them there. Because Jesus was coming to rule in the name of the Lord as the king of Israel. If David was blessed to be God's anointed, how much more this one? And that's why they call him the blessed, they speak of the blessedness of our king. Brothers and sisters, to sum up here, this was the joy 
that was in their hearts. Something we really need to be aware of and to see. There was exuberance. There was praise. There was adulation. There was jubilation. There was liberation in the air. This was like a victory parade. This was victory day for the Jews, that Palm Sunday. And it had to do had, had everything to do with the blessedness of their king, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and what do we see? Well, Jesus very humbly receiving their praises, they, he let them hail him as their king. For indeed, a king he was, right? A king he was in all his, in all his being. And he is our king. He had come for his people that morning to crown him. And uh, coming that morning, riding on the colt, he fulfilled the holy scriptures. So that we say all of God's word always comes true on on this account as well. Brothers and sisters, he came for us into Jerusalem. He came to secure an eternal kingship as God's anointed servant, so that he could rule over us as well and over the Christians of all the centuries from that time onward to to today and rule over us as the prophets had spoken. That's what Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that Sunday morning was about. But what kind of a king did they really need? What kind of a king were they putting all their hopes and aspirations on? What kind of king did they really wish? What kind of a king would they really want to depend upon to do for them the kinds of things that they would want him to do for them? And what kind of glory and honor and freedom did they really delight in and what glory and honor and freedom do you really delight in? Do we simply need to be delivered from a king who who operates like a dictator and we want simply to be free so we can travel wherever we want and no longer have all kinds of restrictions upon us? Is that the ultimate of freedom that we could experience as human beings in this life? The freedom to say, I will take this, this uh, drug, but not this one. Is that the kind of freedom that we want? We certainly have been talking a lot about that in the past months and several years. What kind of freedom, what kind of blessedness do we really need? The blessedness simply to run our own life the way we want and to be able to make our own decisions independently. Is that true and essential freedom? Well, all these things are nice, of course, and we have taken them for granted, but is that really the blessedness that you need? And so we come secondly, congregation, looking at the blessedness of the king, we receive from him his blessedness. If he is blessed, and blessed indeed he is, what then is the blessedness that you need and that you receive from him? Well, it's a short answer. It's really the last part of verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Verse 38 of our text, they were saying, they were singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, that's a very heartwarming, kind of stirring up kind of a statement. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Oh, the Jews so dimly understood what they were saying and what they were singing about. And yet for the moment we know the Lord Jesus Christ, he accepted their praises, he accepted all their rejoicing, even though he knew in a few days hence they would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. But their words, nonetheless, were prophetic of a truth, of a truth as it is in Jesus Christ, and it's simply this, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Congregation, Jesus has come to bless you with this truth by virtue of his kingship. By virtue of his ruling over you because he has graciously redeemed you of all your sins by his own blood and set you free from all your sins On that basis, he can say and he can do for you this very thing, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, don't those words make us think of the words of the angels that night over Bethlehem's fields? As the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now this multitude sings peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It all sounds Pretty much the same thing, doesn't it? A, a strong declaration of divine grace coming from heaven to earth. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The words of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill towards men with whom he is well pleased. Why would God be well pleased with men? Well, because of Christ's sacrifice for their sins, securing their peace. And get this. In heaven, their peace in heaven, a peace with God in heaven. You see, God's relationship with us, because of faith in Jesus Christ, is no longer one of hostility, but of peace. It's no longer one of wrath and condemnation from heaven on account of our sins, But to those who have humbled themselves before Jesus of Nazareth, it's a relationship not of wrath and and condemnation, but of peace and justification. No longer to receive and expect God's curse, but his blessing upon us. From who? Well, this blessed king. So the blessedness of himself is what we share in as well. For he has come in the name of the Lord. In other words, he's come for one reason, to fulfill the mission, the will of his Father in heaven so that peace in heaven can come down to sinners like you and me who deserve anything but peace in heaven. To all those who turn to him in a true faith, to all who turn from their godless ways, their reckless, sinful ways, and come to the conclusion, this is only going to destroy me. 
This is only going to make God's wrath continue to stay upon me if I don't turn from my sin and confess the Lord Jesus Christ as my King and my Savior because He was my Redeemer first. Without that, only wrath and condemnation rests upon me forever. But here's a declaration of peace in heaven that these Jews sing when they speak of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and then right away peace in heaven they say. It's all connected, isn't it? Peace in heaven to those who in faith entrust their lives to Jesus Christ. Congregation, here is the blessedness that is yours to receive through faith in Jesus Christ. Here is blessedness for the taking, for the believing, not for that delaying and postponing, but for the taking and the receiving of true faith. On account of what Jesus has done, remember the mighty works, how he spoke with authority. He didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one who had come from God to do the will of the Lord. Oh, to wallow, humble themselves before this great King, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have peace in heaven. But we have something else. We also have glory in the highest that is reserved in heaven for you. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The highest means Nothing else could possibly be higher than this highest glory. A glory, of course, that Jesus Christ himself had, that he himself was worthy of to receive again when he ascended to heaven to the right hand of his Father. But this glory in the highest is a glory that God has reserved as well for his people. A glory that we are to receive by grace, even in Ephesians, Paul already speaks as us being seated in the heavenly places. That's already the same idea coming to the foreground. But a glory in the highest, a glory that can only be a glory with Jesus Christ our King together with him there. A glory that he himself earned for us, obtained for us exalted to heaven himself, to the Father's right hand. And why? Well, he earned it, didn't he? He sure earned it by his faithful service, even unto death, the shameful death of a cross, to secure for you peace in heaven. That, of course, means already peace on earth for you now as you live out the rest of your life. We already experience the blessings of that justifying grace of God. Peace on earth for us, but here's the thing, peace in heaven. Peace awaiting you awaiting you, as you're on your deathbed and you're ready to depart this life. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest reserved for you in heaven, your highest glory. Oh, what a thing when we consider our awful shame and the corruptness of our wicked hearts. And then to hear our Lord speak about the highest glory, a glory that could not be higher for those who embrace this king of glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, we bow down our hearts. We bow down with lives. Of thanksgiving, I trust, when we consider these things. And may our 
Lord's days. Our lives be filled with joyful songs of praise. Because of this blessed Lord Jesus Christ, this man from Nazareth, who is the mighty King of glory, who earned it all for our salvation. Amen.